Numbers 13, beginning at verse 25. And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh. And they brought word unto them and unto the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, they said, we, we came to the land where you send us. And it, it, it's exactly like the Lord said. It flows with milk and honey. And look, this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people are strong that dwell there. The cities, they're walled. They're very great. And, and also, we, we saw the children of, of Anak there. They're giants. And not only that, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites. They dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let's go up at once and possess it, for we're well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people. They're stronger than we are. And they brought this evil report of the land which they had searched to the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people, every person we saw there, are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And that's what they thought, too. And so we were in their sight. I want to talk just for a few minutes today on what the enemy really thinks. What the enemy really thinks. Would you pray with me right now? Would you open up your heart and ask the Lord to help your heart to be open, to receive the word he has for you today, Lord? We are thankful for what we felt in this place, thankful for your sweet presence that is here. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the confirmation of your word that's already gone forth, that we can trust you. And I thank you for all that you're doing among us. I pray that you would open up our hearts, every single one here. Those that are battling with a little bit of doubt, a little bit of discouragement, those that are having trouble even focusing right now because their minds are so scattered with so many things, I pray that right now that you would gather up the reins of our minds, oh God, and help us for the next few minutes to turn our hearts and our ears towards your voice, that we would hear what you would say to us. Let us turn our ears towards you today, that we would receive from you what you would say to the church today. We worship and magnify you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. I remember growing up, the cartoon character Popeye. I spent some time in Peru on a, shared with you a couple of weeks ago, short-term AIM trip, and I spent some time there, and I stayed in this little hotel room, this little black and white television that was sitting in the room that I turned on every once in a while, and one time I turned it on, just I just needed some touch with the outside world, you know, and Popeye came on, and it was all in Spanish, of course, it's Peru, Popeye, Brother David, Popeye, you know, it just kind of, it sounds cooler, Popeye, Popeye, and this, you know, his voice wasn't the same, and neither was Brutus's or, or olive oil, but it, Popeye is famous for what? Eat spinach. Famous for eating spinach. 
when he eats it, when he grabs that can of spinach and he squeezes it right, that metal can and the lid kind of pops off and the, this green trail of stuff comes out of that can and up and he just opens his mouth and it goes right in. And all of a sudden, what happens? <laughs> Muscles come out. And he, he, he becomes this enormously strong man. Because before he eats, the, he eats the spinach, he's like, I mean, just skin and bones, basically. Well, Popeye was employed, yes, a cartoon character, was employed by the U.S. government during World War II to promote the idea of eating spinach. Meat was a rarity during the wartime. But spinach appeared to be this great substitute because there were these really smart German scientists in the 1890s. Brilliant scientists. Incredible minds. They proved that spinach contained the same amount of iron as meat. And iron, of course, one of the essential vitamins in building strength. Problem was, they weren't as brilliant as you'd like to think. The facts were wrong. The German researchers did prove spinach contained iron, but when they wrote down their results, they put the decimal point in the wrong place, thus giving iron, increasing the amount of iron by, the factor, by a factor of 10, 10 more than what it really had. Unfortunately, with Popeye's promotion and and going on these amazing, brilliant German scientists, the correction to what kind of protein and iron that spinach had didn't get across the ocean until after World War II. And all those people and those kids that were forced to eat spinach because their parents heard from these brilliant scientists that spinach is a lot of iron, it's good for you, and it is good for you, but I can imagine some really angry kids when the results came out that it wasn't really what these German scientists had said. This just shows how easily false ideas can quickly become accepted truth. It's not uncommon, even in the area of Christian belief, for Christians to quickly give unquestionable status to certain beliefs that may, in fact, have questionable origins. And this believing of false ideas is clearly seen in our text that I read today. The beginning of Numbers 13, the Lord speaks to Moses and he tells Moses, Send out men to search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. From every tribe, choose a man. And so Moses, by the command of the Lord, because it's what God told him to do. Moses gathered 10 men, or 12 men, one from each tribe, to go survey the land of Canaan. Moses looks at these 12 men, leaders from each tribe, and he tells them, he said, I want you to go look at all of this land God has promised to give us. I want you to go look, and I want you to find out who lives there. How many people live there? What do they look like? Who's really there living in the land? Are they strong? Are they weak? Are they few? Are they many? And then also survey the land. Find out if it's good land or bad land. Is it fertile land or is it barren land? Uh, when you look, do you see a bunch of people, nomads living in tents? Or are they a bunch of fortified cities with strong walls? Go look and go survey 
the land. This is what I want you to do for the next 40 days. I begin to think, why would the Lord send them to search out and spy out the land that he's already promised to give them? Why spy the land? Why send out these men and take this time to go look at all this he's promised to give them? I kind of determined there's at least a couple reasons I think God did this. First of all, I think he did this to help them plan and prepare. To kind of know where they're headed. Kind of get an idea of what's down the road. Just a little bit. God doesn't always give us the whole picture. But sometimes he gives us a little bit, a little idea of where we're headed. So I think he did that to help them plan and prepare. But I also think he did it to increase their faith, to let their faith be lifted up a little bit. And also, I think the third thing, third reason he did this was to rally their resolve, to be of good courage. You can do what God's called you to do. So I think, first of all, the Lord told him, go spy out the land so you would know how to plan and prepare to conquer Canaan. You see, God is for planning. God is not against making plans. In fact, God is a planner. And God wants you to plan. He really does. He doesn't want you to live just blow this way and that. He, he wants you to plan. He wants you to, he wants you to put down some plans and to make some, to, to, to set some goals and to, and to do and, and to kind of lay everything out. He wants you to plan. Now, there does come a point where you just kind of, we do, we got to surrender our plans to God, but, but I, he, he is a planner, and so he wants us to plan. We look at Proverbs chapter 6, all throughout Scripture, we see this principle. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8 in the NASB says, go to the ant. Look at the ant. Observe how she goes about her life. They have no chief, no officer, no ruler, no, nobody telling them what to do every moment of the day. But verse 8 says, she goes and she prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. If there's an important principle we can learn from the ant, that the ant is planning for the future. The ant knows the importance of, well, while the getting's good in the summertime and the harvest, I need to gather all that I can because I'm not going to be able to do that when the winter comes. I need to plan and prepare for the future. And God's for that. God is for you making plans. Proverbs 21.5 in the ESV says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Here we see the principle, the importance of having a plan versus acting on a whim. God wants you to have a plan. God doesn't want you just to decide, Oh, I feel this today, so this is what I'm going to do. I know this is the direction I was headed, but you know what? I just kind of feel this. So I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to do this. God wants you to make a plan. And he promises, the proverb writer promises, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. If you want abundance, if you want good things, if you want blessing, if you want good things to happen, then make some plans and be diligent about it. But if you want to come to poverty and you want to find things just kind of fall apart, then just blow from this way to that and do whatever you act on a whim. It doesn't matter. The importance of having 
a plan. Proverbs 24, 27 in the New Living says, Do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house. There's some things that need to be done. Uh, Preparing and planning help us set priorities. Again, I know this doesn't seem very spiritual, but all throughout Scripture, God is for planning. He's for preparing. He's for getting things ready. Luke 14, verses 28 to 30. Jesus said this, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counts the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he's laid the foundation is not able to finish it, and that, behold, it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Even Jesus said the importance of planning. And that's why you're here. You took a little bit of initiative and decided, I'm going to set some things in order, and I'm going to make a plan. Because I know God's called me. I know God's got a purpose for me. And I I think this is one of the good ways to plan and prepare. I'm going to build my knowledge base. I'm going to build my my skills, uh, uh, my social skills. I'm going to learn from people that are smarter than me. I'm going to submit myself to people who know a little better than I. I'm going to plan for my future. Because most of us would like to, right when we get out of high school, and the last day that we're actually told to go to school, that we have to, that the government mandates. We're finally free from it when graduate high school. We'd like to think, now I would just like to do what I want to do and just jump into doing what I want to do. And, and it, it takes some planning. It takes some preparation. God is for planning. That's good practical teaching and preaching right there. God is for planning. So what did they do? Numbers 13. They went and searched out the land. They went from the wilderness of Zen and to Rehob. They went from the south. That was the southmost portion. And then they ascended from the south up to Hebron. And they went up to the northernmost portion. And they, they, they saw the children of Anak there. They began to take survey of the land. And they began to see who lived there and what they looked like. They began to see what the cities looked like. They came to the brook of Eshkel. They went from the south to the north to the east to the west. All the land God had promised to give them. They began to survey and take inventory of the land. And they got an idea of, of the kind of the, the plans and preparation they could take to go through and how they could conquer the land. They began to plan and prepare. When they came to the brook of Eshkel, they, they, they came upon this cluster of grapes. They said they cut down this branch and one cluster of grapes was so big that two warrior men had to carry it. Now I've never seen grapes that big. I don't know if it was just a huge cluster of kind of grapes that we see now. I don't know if it was just a big old huge cluster of tiny grapes or if it was, sometimes I like to imagine that it was just kind of a cluster of like five or six grapes, but the grapes were like this big, you know. That's kind of what I pictured as a kid. But maybe it was just a huge cluster of, of like thousands of little grapes, but it was so heavy that it took two grown men to carry that cluster of grapes. But they went from north to south, east, west, planning, surveying, preparing their hearts and minds for what was ahead. So I believe that was possibly maybe one of the reasons the Lord told them to survey the land was to plan and prepare. I think more likely the Lord told them to spy out the land so their faith would be increased. 
In Numbers 13, 2, the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, Send men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. In his command was a promise. You see, in the Lord's mind, this was already a done deal. His promise was sure and unwavering. And so he wanted them to have a little bit of increased faith. Hear me today. The promises God has made to you are a done deal. When God spoke to you and said he wanted to do this in your life, when God talked to you in an altar service one time or a prayer meeting or a youth week or a youth congress and he dropped something in your heart and he said, I'm preparing you for this and I'm going to give you this and and I'm going to use you this way and I'm putting this dream in your heart. When he spoke that to you, it was a done deal. He didn't say, well, I'm going to give this to you if you'll get all A's on your papers. I'm going to give this to you if you you never sin from this day forward. I'm going to give this to you if you can somehow make something good out of the mess that your family's made for you. Then I've given you all this, but it's kind of conditional. No, the Lord said when he gave you a promise, the Bible tells us his promises are yea and amen. They're not founded and conditional on whether or not you're good enough, whether or not you're gifted enough, whether or not you're you're good. The promises he gives you are not conditional on you. They are founded upon his word, which is unfailing and which cannot change. And when he promised it, he will bring it to pass. And so he wanted these these spies and he wanted the children of Israel to let their faith be increased. That no matter what the land looks like and no matter how big the walls are and no matter who lives there, just believe. Just believe. And that's the key to you Conquering your Canaan. What is your Canaan? What is the promise God's put before you? Do you realize the only qualification to conquering your Canaan is just believing God? Just believing God. That's it. No other qualification, just believing Him. Now, obviously, we know belief, there's a lot in that. If you really, truly believe something, you're going to act a particular way that you believe it. But that's all you got to do is believe. Jesus said in Mark 11, 22, he said, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And that's what I've come to just preach to somebody today. Have faith in God. If the Lord said it, it's going to happen. Just have faith in God. It's not dependent upon you. It's already settled. It's already a done deal. Just have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall come to pass. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. 
All you have to do is believe. Get your eyes off the land and the giants and just believe. Get your eyes off of your insecurities and your inabilities and just believe. Just have faith in God. Just trust him. Just walk with your head up and your shoulders back and trust God because he promised you and he will bring it to pass. Matthew 21, 22, in all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. If ye shall have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, remove from yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. Just believe. Some of you are struggling with believing. Your speech betrays you. Because all you like to do is sit around and talk about how it can't happen. And all the problems that surround you. You know, and how often do we get up behind this pulpit and start to lead a song or start to lead in prayer? And the first thing out of our mouth is, I know it's been difficult. I know it's been hard. I know it's been, and, and the devil's been on our tails, bless his holy name. And we're just, we're just... Just believe. No matter what it looks like around, just believe. Nothing shall be impossible to you. We got enough scripture backing us up, telling us if we'll just look to Jesus, if we'll just put our faith in him, if we'll just trust him, his promises are sure and steadfast. They are yea and amen. And that brought us to our text today. They returned after searching the land for 40 days. 40 days. Walking from the south to the north, to the west to the east. 40 days. And they come to Moses and those two guys still carrying that cluster of grapes. Whew. That took them. They, you know, their, their arms are tired. Their legs are tired. They've been carrying these, this fruit. I, mean, I, I like to think, let's just, let's just picture, they're, they're, they're like three feet in diameter, like each grape. And it's just huge. They've been carrying this now for I don't know how many days. They walk into the camp, and there's Moses and Aaron. And they don't even have to say anything just yet. You can imagine what the crowd and the people started doing, coming out of their tents and looking, what in the world? Never seen so many grapes in my life. Never seen so many big grapes in my life. Three inches diameter grape. Wow, that's amazing. I'd like to take a bite out of that. And, and they, they see these men walking in with all this fruit, these grapes, the pomegranates, the figs, all this, and they see these men coming back. And you can imagine the people start gathering around, and you can imagine there's some excitement because all they had to see, the men didn't have to say anything, but the excitement started stirring in the camp of Israel because they're like, well, it, it must be true. I've never seen anything like it. But they come to Moses and Aaron and they show them the fruit of the land. Those guys finally get to drop those grapes. And they told them. They began to speak up. We went to all the lands you told us to go. South, north, west, east. Yep. It's exactly what the Lord said. Surely it floweth with milk and honey. Just look at the fruit of it. And for a moment, it sounds like faith was increased. For a moment, it sounded like they caught the vision of why God really sent them out to spy the land. Well, not so fast. Verse 28, they kept talking. See, maybe that's, 
just thought of this. Maybe that's where we go wrong. We keep talking. Instead of stopping it, look at this. Look what God said is true. Look at the fruit of the land. And then zip our mouth. Stop talking. Too often we start talking ourselves out of the miracle, right? Whew, look at this, man. Isn't God good? We have a great service. It's so wonderful. And you, you, you got that confirmation. God speaks to you. Somebody comes and lays their hands on you. And that, what they pray over you is exactly what you've been asking God for. And then all of a sudden the service ends. The formal dismissal is given. You walk out. And he should have stopped talking. Nevertheless, you should see the people there. They're really big. The cities, wow, really big. The walls, really big. Never seen them like that before. Oh, oh, forgot to tell you, there's giants there. In fact, every, every, every single person we saw, uh, every single person, even the babies, they were over 10 feet tall, every single one of them. Just stop talking. Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and they're in the mountains, they're by the sea, they're scattered everywhere. But Caleb interrupted them. And sometimes in your little friend group, you need to be the Caleb. Stop talking, guys. You're going down a path of what you're talking about. You need to stop. You were good just a few minutes ago. And Caleb stilled the people. And I think Caleb got a hold of why God sent them to spy out the land. Caleb's resolve was rallied. There was something inside of Caleb, and he spoke up. And he said, you guys need to be quiet. Stop talking like that. Let's go up at once and possess the land. We don't even need to think about it. We are well able to overcome whatever lies in front of us. Listen to the faith and the resolve of Caleb. We are well able to overcome it. That only lasted for so, so long. Doubt took the wind out of the sails of the other ten spies and wrecked their resolve. The other ten stood up and said, be quiet, Caleb. You're going to march us into a death trap. Don't listen to what he says. We are not able. Well, that's partially true. We're not able to go against these people. They're stronger than we are. And the Bible says these other men contradicted Caleb and they gave an evil report. Why was it evil? Because it was negative. It was against what God had said. And if you talk against what God's promised, that's the epitome of evil. You like to think evil's the devil with the pitchfork and the witch witches that are casting spells and the witchcraft and all that. You like to think that's evil. Yes, that's evil. But it's just as evil. 
It's just as not of God. When God speaks something and you let your mouth keep running and talk yourself out of a miracle and talk yourself out of God's promise and you begin to say, we're not able. And what they were really saying is God's not able. And that's evil. You see, they begin drawing conclusions from their expedition that went directly against the Lord's purpose for their expedition. They said, this land that we've, we've just visited, this land we searched through, it eats up everybody that lives there. Men of great stature saw these giants. And then they said, we saw ourselves like little grasshoppers in the sight of these big giants. And then they added this. We saw ourselves that way, and we didn't take time to ask them. But I'm convinced of it. They saw us the same way. Now think about it. The Lord sent them to spy out the land, not to get them so discouraged that they would not even go try and do what God asked them to do. And maybe that's why he doesn't give you all the details that you would like him to give you. He doesn't tell you every little in and out of what's going to happen in the next five years or the next ten years. I think some of that's just the grace of God because he knows your faith's not yet there. He knows your ability is not yet there. He knows your gifting is not yet there because if you try to tackle five years and ten years from now, if you don't try to tackle what's coming then with what you've got now, you might be overwhelmed and overcome. But let me tell you, by the time you get to that five years or that ten years, you will be well able because God will equip you to do what he has called you to do. So don't get discouraged and don't get anxious and don't get impatient to jump ahead. Now that's anointed preaching right there. And somebody needs to hear that. The Lord sent them to spy out the land to help them plan and prepare to increase their faith and to rally their resolve. We can do this. Why? Because he had already given it to them. This is the land I give you. It was already theirs. They just had to believe God and take it. That ministry you feel called to it's already yours. You just have to believe and take it. And that process of believing and taking it might mean planning and preparing. And it might mean just increasing your faith to believe God for more. And then rally your resolve that I don't care what comes my way. I'm going to see it through. And I'm going to make it. And I'm going to see God do what he says he would do. So what's your cane and what are you backing down from? What are you afraid to pursue? What has God promised you? You see, there's only one thing that could derail the plan of God for them. There's only one thing that was going to derail it. Only one thing that was going to knock it off. Only one thing that was going to keep it from happening. Only one thing. Was it the giant's? Was it the fact that there was that everybody there over the age of two was 10 feet tall, according to this evil report? Was that the one thing that was going to, was that the thing God was scared about? And the, well, I, I hope you guys could do it because I put some really big people there. Was that the one thing? But yet some of you, you let these giants parade around in your life. 
whatever it may be, fear, worry, an addiction, and you let it parade around in your life, and you let it hold you captive the entire time. You think, I can't overcome that. That's not going to keep you from your Canaan. It doesn't have to keep you from your Canaan. That's not the obstacle. Well, maybe it was the walled cities. Maybe it was all these barriers that were put up. Some of you are looking around and you feel like your parents are giving you a barrier and you feel like your pastor's giving you a barrier. And you come here and all these rules giving you barriers. Come on, I can't reach my Canaan with all these walls. You think that's going to keep you? Was that the one thing? Was it these thick walls of Jericho? Was that that was going to keep them from conquering their Canaan? No. Just one thing. The only thing that could derail the plan of God for them and did. And the only thing that will derail the plan of God for you. It's not what you look at every day the giants you allow in your life he's going to give you victory he can give you victory over those it's not the walls those aren't insurmountable it's if you sit in the presence of God when God speaks to you you doubt it can't do it can't do it you see I you understand, God, uh, my family messed up. I, I, I can't look at them as an example for what a Christian is. I, I, can't, I can't do this. If my family's too messed up, I can't do it. Preach, Lord, you know I can't talk like that. I, I can't preach. There's no way I could do that. Teach Bible studies? Win souls. I can't even talk to strangers. I, I can't do that. When God speaks, you doubt. But His promises are true. Yeah, 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 I know, but can't do it. Hear me today. He sent those spies so they would see what He had already promised. Not for them to determine whether they were able or not. God does not tell you, hey, I want to use you and do this in you, and I want to build all this for you, and I, and I want to take you here, and I want to do. He doesn't tell you that so you can determine whether you can do it or not. That's not even on the table for him. He's not asking for your permission. He's not asking if you think you can do it. Hey, I've got something, Kelsey, I'd like to do in your life. You think you can do it? It's not what he's doing. He said, I got something great I want to do in your life. I don't care what you think about it. It's a done deal. Just believe me. Just believe me. I'd like you to see all these wonderful things I've got planned for you. Now stop talking and just believe me. Stop doubting and just believe me. They said... We saw the giants, the sons of Anak, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. They assumed. 
The enemy saw them the same way they saw themselves. Would you stand with me? They assumed the enemy saw them the same way they saw themselves. Little and weak, small and insignificant, incapable and insufficient. But the victory, hear me today, the victory was not dependent on whether they were capable or not. Their victory rested solely on God's promises. I want you to hear that again. Their victory was not dependent on whether they were capable or not. Their victory rested solely on God's His promise is enough in your life. It's enough. Quit doubting. Quit fearing. Quit worrying. Quit trying to figure it all out. He promised it. That's enough. That's all there needs to be. But you know what happened. The whole congregation followed the ten voices. And so for the next 40 years, years. They wandered around feeling little and weak and small and insignificant and incapable and insufficient and thinking the enemy saw them the exact same way. Forty years of wandering. You want to wander in your life? Just keep doubting. Because until you stop doubting, you will never stop wondering. Forty years, meandering around, a little 10 square mile, 11 square mile, whatever it was, just wandering around. And finally, Joshua, now at the helm 40 years later, Joshua decides to spend, send spies into the promised land. Let's do this one more time. But instead of sending 12 like Moses, Joshua said, I'm just going to send two. It's a lot easier to convince two than it is 12. And he sends two. And they go into, they go into Jericho. And you remember the story, Rahab the harlot takes them into her home, hides them, lies for them to protect them. Love this. That very night, when they were laying their head in the pillow up on Rahab's roof, hiding away from everybody, right before they turned out the light, men, y'all decent? Can I talk to you for a minute? Here comes Rahab, bows before these men, and says, Here. This is the enemy talking. Verse 9 of Joshua chapter 2. I know the Lord has given you this land. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror. What do you mean? 
I thought we were grasshoppers. And I thought the enemy saw us as grasshoppers. And here Rahab is saying, we've heard about everything. Verse number 10, we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. We know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, where you completely destroyed them. Verse 11, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. Listen, no one has the courage to fight you after hearing all that your God has done for you. I wish somebody would stop walking around timid and afraid and in fear. When let me tell you what your enemy really thinks. He knows where God's brought you from. He knows what God's brought you out of. He knows the sin God has forgiven. He knows the miracle God has worked. And the enemy is living in terror. The enemy is living in fear. The enemy doesn't see you as a grasshopper. The enemy sees you as a giant, a son and daughter of the living God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. He alamahaye shotoloboko. He kanamahaye sotorababaha. All you need to do is believe. All you need to do is say whatever you say, God. I believe you. Stop talking about the negative. Stop talking about the giants. Stop talking about the land. And just turn to him and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I stand on your promise. Your promises are yea and amen. And I believe you. I want you right now, wherever you're at, there's room for some here along the front if you want to come pray. But I want you to find a place and I want you to begin to worship. And I want you to begin to offer up your life as a living sacrifice. I want you to begin to tell the Lord, I will not fear. I'm going to stand on your promise. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your promises. I thank you for your promises. Come on, somebody here today. Come on, somebody here today needs to claim victory. Somebody here today needs to put to rest every negative thought and every negative thing you voiced in the name of Jesus and embrace the plan and embrace the purpose of God. Embrace your Canaan. Embrace your Canaan. Believe God for your Canaan. You are for me, not against me. I am.